Good morning. Welcome to Redbridge Community Radio. Thank you very much for tuning in this morning. I really appreciate it. I hope that uh, those of you who've listened to the last three weeks of podcasts have found it informative and supportive of you in terms of your process and particularly at this time where many of us and many people are really struggling right now with their emotional well-being and their mental health. I'm Victoria Baskerville and I'm a transactional analyst psychotherapist and I'm the founder of the TA East London Counselling and Psychotherapy Training Institute. The purpose of this radio broadcast is to reach out to the community. So very much the value base of TA East is about really going back to our roots of, of social responsibility and social psychology and really bringing psychoeducation to everyone. So often counselling and psychotherapy can be quite a exclusive uh, and privileged profession. And also many people don't get to access uh, counselling and psychotherapy. So this is a way of bringing some of the transactional analysis concepts to you in a way that can be quickly understood and applied to self to our personalities and to our relationships. Now last week um, we focused on strokes and the week before script and the week before that ego state. So some of you might want to tune in to some of those broadcasts before we move on in, in this process. This week I'm going to take us back to the original philosophy of transaction analysis and I'm going to focus on life positions. So the, the central ethos and philosophy of transaction analysis is the I'm okay, you're okay philosophy, which is an existential view, uh, philosophy of the world about self and about other. So this sense of I'm okay, you're okay, it's a value base. I'm okay with myself, I have worth, and I'm okay with you, you have worth. And this is an essence. In, if we think about transaction analysis, um, it is very much a humanistic philosophy, and it really holds the belief that all people are good, that we all have the capacity to, to develop and to grow, and that we have that we're equal that humanly we are equal that there is nobody bigger than ourselves and that 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 equates to an equality i'm okay you're okay of course what we know is that in society there is lots of uh, oppression um and um we have have to think about oppression oppression in terms of systemic oppression and that not all people feel like they are treated as okay however this is the individual stance on life their view of the world and the i'm okay you're okay is the healthiest position I also want to now introduce, Byrne talked about there are four life positions that we may take up in life. And this will be depend on our early experience. It will depend on the decisions we make about our early experience. And it will depend on the way that we've understood and interpreted our life experience. 
I guess it also, we're going to be influenced also by our cultural scripts and also we're going to be influenced by the wider white society. Uh, what I mean by that is what we know is that white privilege has a big influence in terms of, of the way that the world is viewed. But also to consider what we would call an intersectional lens across society, that, that there are many cultures and many ways of being in the world and that we all have different ways that we may identify. So I'm going to now go back to this sense of life position. So the I'm okay, you're okay life position is very much, I'm okay with you, you're okay with me, I'm here with you, you're here with me. And interestingly, recently in, in a group that I was uh, uh, teaching, we were really musing this idea of the I'm okay, you're okay life position. And interestingly, okay, as many of you will be aware of, is very much an American word. It's a Western lens. And actually, okay isn't translatable into many Eastern languages. So what does it mean to have a philosophy that is rooted in a Western lens? Well, I, th I think we have to open up our minds to this and our hearts and to think about what, what, what did Byrne mean when he, he suggested the I'm okay, you're okay philosophy? I think we can also go back to um, Carl Rogers, who was the pioneer of humanistic theory, where he talked about unconditional positive regard. So this is about a deep regard for ourselves and a deep regard for the other. And interestingly, in this dialogue with these two women in the group about um, the, the understanding of this in terms of Eastern language, is they had a, quite a dialogue in terms of translation. And interestingly, in Bengali, uh, the way that the time okay, you're okay can be translated is into I'm good, you're good, which in many ways brings a very different meaning. And in some ways, this adaptation to being good. So it doesn't really fit. So continuing in the dialogue, these women who... Um, had a, a Hind, one woman I, was British Hindu, the other woman was British Muslim, and there was quite a dialogue around how this might be translated in Urdu, in Bengali, in Gujarati, uh, in Arabic. And actually, what they came to was a Hindu, a Hindu uh, philosophy, uh, which you may have heard of, of Namaste, Namaste, meaning I bow to the divine in you, and you bow to the divine in me. And I loved that because there was a real kind of essence of, of I bow to you, I, I bow to myself, I see myself, I bow to you, and this deep belief in humankind. It takes me back to a song that I used to listen to a long time by Nancy Griffith, and it was called From a Distance. And there was a line in that song which was, From a distance you look like my friend, even though we are at war. So this sense it's from the distance, here we are in our humanness, but then in difference, in terms of differences, and in terms of projections onto each other, and in terms of misunderstandings, and in terms of different frames of reference of the world, the different spectacles that we wear, on 
our views of the world often causes us to polarise and to really struggle to hold the I'm okay, you're okay. I'm thinking about um, a story at the end of the Second World War where on Christmas Day, each side, um, the British side, the Europeans, some of the Europeans versus the Germans, lay down their weapons, lay down their guns and played football together. So that there's something about actually meeting in the humanness. There is not the fight. However, what Burns said is based on our early experience, we will take up we will take up a life position. And he identified a piece of theory called the OK Corral. And in this theory, he identified four life positions. And as I've said, the healthiest life position being, I'm okay, you're okay. I have worth and you have worth. Whatever your ethnicity, whatever your creed, whatever your nationality, whatever your your culture in terms of your class, in terms of, of your sexuality, in terms of your gender, in terms of your, your, your job, whatever it might be, I'm okay, you're okay. But he, he identified four life positions. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're not okay. I'm not okay, you are okay. And I'm not okay, you're not okay. And while he said we come into the world with this position of I'm okay, you're okay. And, and I would argue that maybe in terms of, of racism and in terms of all the generational trauma that maybe in with experienced in in some cultures and the 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 oppressive dynamic that people may not feel they come into the world as I'm okay, you're okay. But as I say, it's a philosophy. So I want to now go to a life, the other life positions that people take up based on their experience. And this would be based on the script that I talked about uh, the week before last and ego states that I talked about the week before that. So children make decisions based on their experience and form beliefs, beliefs about self, beliefs about others and beliefs about the world. So if we think now about the life position of I'm okay, you're not okay. Some people go about the world feeling more powerful than others, more okay than others, more special to others. I have worth and the other doesn't have worth. Now, I think we have to really honour that any of these positions that are really outside of health are based on a person's survival, the way people have learned to survive in the world. And somebody who has to inflate themselves, I'm okay and you're not, there's a story behind that. There's a story around their experience and their survival. And it may be a response to actually not feeling okay. However, somebody who walks around, they hold the belief, I'm okay, you're not. They somehow inflate themselves. They somehow um, may um, become the oppressor to the other in some way. Then we have, or, or maybe even invite an idolization, invite others to revere them in some ways. I think you probably know people in your lives that, that present in this way. Then we have the life position of I'm not okay, 
you are. So this person really puts themselves in a one down position differently to the previous person who puts themselves in a one up. So I'm not okay, you are. This person sees themselves as less than and sees others as more okay and sees others as more powerful and have more authority and maybe are more intelligent and maybe speak more eloquently and maybe you know have more qualifications so can you see the picture of so far we have these three life positions that are very different and we've got the one the health but we've got the other life positions that are not healthy they're not authentic positions and then we've got the life position of i'm not okay you're not okay which is a despairing position. I'm not okay. I don't have worth and you don't have worth. I don't care about myself and I don't care about you. So it's a despairing, hopeless position and can be a position that people go to when they go to a place of depression. And you can see it's going to be based on perhaps historical distress, historical trauma, experience of childhood. So we now got four positions and I invite you to write them down. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're not okay. I'm not okay, you are okay. And I'm not okay, you're not okay. Each one of us will have a preferred life position and, and will live by this lens and this life position throughout their lives. That's not to say that there aren't times in our lives where we will move to different positions. That's not to say that we don't, you know, all at times get to a place of I'm okay, you're okay. However, a good indicator to really help us really think about when what are our most... I guess familiar position is to think about where do you go to at times of stress? Where do you find yourself? Do you go to a place where you blame others? Do you go to a place where you want to save others? Or do you go to a place where you hope to be saved? Or you feel the constant attack from the other? Now you can already see that those who have the, the life position of I'm okay, you're not. They seek out the people who hold the life position of I'm not okay, you are. You can see that they would complement each other. So you've got one person that feels I'm okay and the other person who feels that they're not okay. And that starts to develop a pattern. And then you've got the people who sit in the I'm not okay, you're not okay, who also are probably going to seek out the person who believes that others are not okay but still not see them as okay. So I hope, I hope that you're, you're, you're following me here. I wanted to give you that backdrop to really start to introduce games theory in transactional analysis. Now, many of you have heard, oh, that person's gamey or that person's playing a game. We don't quite mean it in that kind of Oxford dictionary language. As I say, Byrne wanted to make counselling and psychotherapy accessible to everyone, to the layperson. And here we're talking about transference and counter-transference. We're talking here about what gets projected onto the other and what we then, how we respond to 
projections that we put out ourselves or projections that are put onto us. So games theory is very much an unconscious process and it's how we repeat patterns and how we reenact our early story and it's how we replay our childhood experience and it's how we reinforce our beliefs and it's how we keep our beliefs going and being reinforced in our behaviours. It's how we keep our script really as, as, as reinforcing uh, our beliefs and our behaviours. So I'd like you to, to take a reflection and, and maybe you could write these down as I reflect with you or indeed maybe write the answers down just as a way in to thinking about games. So what keeps happening to you over and over again? What keeps happening to you over and over again in your life that you that that where you end up feeling bad about yourself in terms of this i guess pattern of what keeps happening over and over again how does it begin how does it start does this begin with you wanting to be kind to somebody or does this begin by you looking for somebody that might help you? Or does this begin with you feeling annoyed towards others or believing that, that you have, have more of the answers? So how does it start? What happens next? And then what happens? How does it end? What do you feel and tell yourself? So I'm going to go through those questions again. What keeps happening to you over and over again in your life where you end up feeling bad about yourself, about others? How does it start? What happens next? And then what happens? How does it end? What do you feel and tell yourself? Now, it may be helpful to reflect on this at a later point, but this is me really wanting to bring you into the idea of games, which are about repeating patterns and usually result in everyone feeling confused, misunderstood, and, and really um, feeling something in relation to self and the other person. So a definition of a game, it is an unconscious pattern. It is outside of awareness and it is a way of reinforcing our beliefs. It also is not here and now reality and discounts the reality. And the game does not really become explicit until we've noticed something happen. So when we begin a game, we may discount ourselves, we may discount an other, we may discount the reality, we may discount the abilities of ourselves, we may discount the abilities of the other. And we do it unconsciously. 
and we seek out our complementary game players unconsciously. And we don't really know we're in a game, and maybe we don't ever know we're in a game, but there's something about something happens to me. So in that what happens to me over and over again, it's how do I end up feeling? Do I find myself saying, nobody understands me? Do I find myself saying, I was only trying to help? Do I find myself saying, nobody ever listens to me? Do I find myself saying, I feel misunderstood? Do I end up in an exchange with a person where I feel confused, I feel awful, I feel bad? I feel that my beliefs have been confirmed and reinforced. What happens to you over and over again? Now, Byrne had many different pieces of theory. And one of them that you may have heard of, um, if you've read some of, of Byrne's books and some transaction analysis books, is the drama triangle. And the drama triangle is a really accessible piece of theory and a real way of really simplifying the theory to give us access quickly into understanding the idea of games. So I'm going to ask you to draw yourself a triangle now and have the flat part at the top and, and the, the, the point at the bottom. And in the left-hand corner, can you write P? In the right-hand corner, R? And at the bottom, V? Now, before we go to the drama triangle, I just want to say that, that this is an in, inauthentic position. So um, we're going to be thinking about the, the persecutor, the rescuer and the victim. These are not real rescuer, persecutor and victim positions. So, of course, in the world, there is real persecution. There are real victims and there are people that spend their life serving others and really rescuing others. So I'm not talking about those authentic positions. I'm talking about personal positions that we can pick up ourselves really as a way of surviving in the world. Now, if we go back to this triangle, we've got the persecutor position, which would take up the life position of I'm OK, you're not a one-up versus a one-down position. Surprisingly, and people are often surprised by this, the rescuer position also holds the life position of I'm okay, you're not. So this person goes around taking care of others whether they want to be taken care of or not. This person gets their needs met by saving others. And then we have the victim position, who sits in the life position of, I'm not okay, you are. This person doesn't see their own worth. This person sees that others are more powerful, others are more potent, others have the answers, others can save. Uh, so you can already see these positions. And also, taking you back to ego states that we, we reflected on in the first week, the victim would sit in the child ego state in a one down passive position. The persecutor would sit in the parent ego state in a one up powerful position, a, a controlling, a critical position. And the rescuer would sit in the parent ego state, quite possibly in a nurturing position. However, all of these positions are discounting the other. 
And you can already probably imagine how the persecutor hucks up with the victim and how the rescuers find the victims and how the vis victims find the persecutors and how the victims find the rescuer. Now this drama triangle would usually take place between two people, so not the three, two people. It takes two people to play a game and it is unconscious and we find each other to reenact our history, to reenact unresolved experiences, to reenact our script, to reinforce our script and to keep us in our preferred life positions. So I'm thinking of a game that Byrne talked about in his book, Games People Play. Now I want you to be really mindful that of course Byrne was a man of his time. He wrote this theory in the 50s and 60s and some of it is quite um, dated in terms of the historical context. And uh, we don't necessarily name games in the same way now that Byrne did. But there's one game that really speaks to me and I think it will really illustrate this drama triangle. Now I'm, I'm going to talk about two people on the drama triangle that sit between the rescuer and the victim. One of the things that Byrne said that needs to happen for a game to take place is not only do both players take up a position and have an interaction uh, backwards and forwards between these positions, but at some point there has to be a switch of positions. And that it's after the switch of positions that both parties get their life position, their script and their self-beliefs reinforced. And they get their payoff, where both parties will end up feeling confused and feeling bad and have something of themselves reinforced. Being on the drama triangle is never health. It doesn't offer the I'm okay, you're okay. And it doesn't bring in the full being and capability of each person or, or, or their essence or their, their worth. So here we have, I'm going to give you an example uh, of a transaction uh, between victim and rescuer. So the victim is seeking a friend or maybe it's a friend or maybe it, this could get enacted even in, the, in a work setting. Um, indeed, even in the therapy setting before the therapist becomes aware there is a game taking place. So the victim is looking for a job. So I, I, I'm going to be the victim So for now. Oh, I'm looking for a job. I really do need another job. And the rescuer comes in. Oh, well, you know, have you looked on uh, the internet? Have you looked in LinkedIn? Victim. Oh, you know, my internet's down, down at the moment. It's, it's really not possible. So the rescuer says, oh, well, you know, why don't you come over to my house and you can use my internet? Victim. Oh, no, 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 that, you know, my car, my car isn't working very well at the moment. Rescuer. Well, how come I don't, how come I, I could come round to your house and uh, bring my uh, phone and you could use my personal hotspot? Victim. Yeah, but, you know, I haven't really got time because I'm looking for a job and that's taken up a lot of time. Rescuer. Well, 
how about if I perhaps look for a job for you? If you're if you're really struggling to look for a job, then maybe I could look for a job for you and write you a list and email it to you. Victim. Yeah, but you know, I get a lot of emails every day. I really haven't got time to to plow through emails. I'm be I'm exaggerating. However, you can already see that the victim is playing the yes but game. Yes but, yes but I haven't got internet. Yes but I, you know, I can't come over to your house. Yes but don't come over to mine. Yes but I can't look at my emails. And the rescuer is trying harder and harder. So how about I do this? I'll, you know, you can use my internet, you can use my phone, I can come round to your house, I can look for the job for you, I can write you the list. At some point, the rescuer or the victim is going to change position on the drama triangle. They've had enough. It may be that the victim thinks, oh, you know, they, they've had enough of this yes but, and they switch to persecutor and say, I really don't need your help. Or indeed, the persecutor may have enough and that, not the persecutor, sorry, the rescuer may have enough and the rescuer may switch the persecutor and say, oh, for goodness sake, I was only trying to help. Or they might drop down to victim and feel, oh, I was only trying to help. That's all I ever do after all I do. So can you see that the victim might shoot switch to persecutor and the rescuer to victim or indeed the rescuer to persecutor or to victim. You can see how there's movement around the drama triangle and both parties end up feeling bad and both parties get their script payoff. So I invite you to reflect on what is it that happens to you over and over again? Where do you start on the drama triangle and where do you end up? Burns said, he said, it's not to ask of ourselves, are we playing a game? It's to ask ourselves, which one is it? So I invite you to consider what game you may be playing in your life and what it would look like to not play the game. Thank you.